today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. You know, we can have a powerful time with the Lord. And man, we can commit to the Lord so many things. We can go to a men's retreat, a women's retreat. We can have our own private quiet time. And the Lord speaks to us and we get up from that. We say, man, Lord, I want to move forward in you. And it's at that very point that the enemy of our souls says, oh my goodness, he's come alive. I got to run away. No, that's not what happens, is it? As a matter of fact, suddenly he pulls out all the stops because he doesn't want us to be in that condition of that full surrender. And that's exactly what's going to take place here. In his message today, Pastor David warns that when you completely surrender to the Lord, the devil often makes his entrance. The last thing the enemy of your soul wants is for you to trust in the Lord completely. He wants your attention and will go to great lengths to try and deceive you. Be on your guard for any temptation that might pull your attention away from the Lord. Pray that Jesus may pour out his protection and keep the evil one far away. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ezra chapter 4 as he continues his message, Temples and Towers. Ahead of them was a major task, the rebuilding of the temple, and yet they recognized from whom their help was going to come from. Yes, Cyrus was part of the plan, but the reality was their help was coming from Almighty God. And as they began the work, one of the first things that needed to be accomplished was the setting of the foundation stones. It was an amazing emotional time for everybody that was involved with it. When they laid the foundation of the temple, the priests and the Levites, they led the people in just giving and singing praise to God. Look here in chapter 3, down in verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. And then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12, but many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, they wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people couldn't discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. What an amazing time that had to be. Were all 50,000 of them there? Well, I bet you the major portion of them were there. You know, when you get a full house and people begin praising the Lord, how powerful that is. Can you imagine 50,000 people singing and proclaiming and crying out to the Lord. In the midst of that, there were some that were older 
and they saw what was being built. It could have been two things. It could have been number one, they were weeping, and which we'll see actually a little bit later. They're weeping because it's not as beautiful as what had been destroyed. But I believe also there could have been weeping because, hey, we're getting the temple back. Where we now we have that opportunity. I remember the other temple. Some of you guys don't remember the other temple because you're younger, but these older guys, we remember what that other one looked like. And we're so glad, perhaps, that that's what's being built. Or maybe they're so sad because it's so small and so different than the other one. When you consider the amount of finances that, was, that Solomon had to build the first temple compared to what they had to build the second temple, it's like less than a tenth of what Solomon had is what they're building this new temple with. It's not going to be nearly as amazing as the other one. But the project was on its way. The hope was being fulfilled. And just as in our lives, whenever there's great time of rejoicing, the enemy's going to do anything and everything he can to bring in fear or frustration or cause us to, to back up. You know, we can have a powerful time with the Lord. And man, we can commit to the Lord so many things. We can go to a men's retreat, a women's retreat. We can have our own private quiet time. The Lord speaks to us and we get up from that. We say, man, Lord, I want to move forward in you. And it's at that very point that the enemy of our souls says, oh my goodness, he's come alive. I gotta run away. No, that's not what happens, is it? As a matter of fact, suddenly he pulls out all the stops because he doesn't want us to be in that condition of that full surrender. And that's exactly what's going to take place here. The opening of chapter four, the enemy, first of all, he tries to join in on the project, but as they're pushed back and as they're rejected, hey, you'll have no part in this house of God. Now they're gonna turn their efforts to stopping the project as a whole. Look at Ezra chapter four, verse four. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So again, they actually went through three kings at that point in time. Through their accusations and through their claims, they actually effectively, they shut down the building of the temple for 20 years. Now, can you imagine that? You've been released from exile. Man, you're in Israel. You're ready to go. And now all of a sudden, the city puts a cease and desist sign in front of your building, kind of like some modulars that we've got back here, but that's a whole other story. They had to wait 20 years. I won't talk about Logos' modulars, no. They had to wait 20 years before anything else took place. After a period of time, the Lord brought words from the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, and they prophesied to the Jews. Look at Ezra chapter five. Ezra chapter five. And in verse one, we read, then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Yezodak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So after 20 years, these prophets rose up and said, look, you guys need to go ahead and build this thing. And so they said, okay, we're going to start building. So they started building again. 
The king hadn't sent any kind of a decree. They hadn't gotten you know, the, the, the final permits all done. No, they just started building again because God told them to start building. Well, it didn't take too long for the adversary to rise up against them again. By this time, the Jews at this period, though, they knew we're going to send a letter to the Persian king who is now Darius, and they explained to him that earlier decree of Cyrus and the reason why they're going to go ahead and build. So in chapter 6, Darius, the king of Persia, he began searching through the archives. He finds, sure enough, where Cyrus had made the decree, and now, he, now Darius, he offers his own decree. And in it, in his decree, he commands that the enemies of that project keep themselves away. You can't even go there anymore. Stay away from there. Leave them alone. And he declares that the taxes that the Persians were taking from that land were actually going to be turned back over to them for the building of the temple. And addition to that, he commands that for anybody messing with them, or trying to rewrite his edict. Well, look look at verse 11, chapter 6. He's pretty serious about this. Anybody that tries to, to mess with him or rewrite this edict, he says, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected, and let him be hanged on it, and let his house be made a refuge heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it, or to destroy this house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree, let it be done diligently. And so the work on the temple continued on, and it came to the point of completion. Ezra 6, verse 15, Now the temple was finished in the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of the king of Darius. The people celebrated, they celebrated Passover, they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Chapter 6, verse 22 says, For the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Now it would seem that, that chronologically, following this time, the events of the book of Esther took place. When we open up chapter 7 of Ezra, Artaxerxes is the king of Persia. However, between him and Darius, Ahasuerus had reigned for some 20 plus years. Now we'll look at Esther later. But in chapter 7 of Ezra, we're now introduced to the author of the book. You have to understand now that Ezra is coming into the picture, this is some 50 years after chapter 1. Quite a bit of time has come about. As he comes in, he gives a long lineage and uh, find out that he's actually a descendant of Aaron, the, the chief priest, Aaron, the son of Moses, who was the head of the Levites. And he had been captive in Babylon. Uh, the word tells us in verse 6 of chapter 7 that skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given him, found favor with the king, and thus Artaxerxes allowed him to go to Jerusalem with another group of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the singers, and the gatekeepers. We read that in verses 7 through 8. And then in verse 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. 
one thing, it's one thing to build the building and to have the temple and to go through the, the motions of worship. It's another thing to have the word of God read and explained and understood. We can't go through the motions unless we truly understand why we're going through what we're going through. And that's what Ezra had in his heart. He wanted to come. He wanted to teach the statutes. He wanted to teach the ordinances uh, there in Israel. So when Artaxerxes gives Ezra a letter, he fully finances him, and he gives him a great amount of money. Verse 17 of chapter 7 says, in order that he might buy many bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and offer them to the altar of the house of your God in Israel. Now, I got to stop right there. How in the world did Artaxerxes know about grain offerings and drink offerings and all these other things? I think because guys like Ezra that were still there, they were teaching him and they were sharing the reality of what they, the word of God that they knew. And again, Brother Artaxerxes accepted completely. He at least understood that the God of Israel was worshiped in these ways. Verse 18, he goes on to say, whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the money, the rest of the silver and the gold, do it according to the will of your God. So much more than that, even to the point uh, of releasing the priests and, and the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and any of the servants of the house of the Lord from ever paying taxes. The rest of the people of Israel had to pay taxes. But he said, you know, you guys who serve as priests and Levites and singers and gatekeepers, you don't have to pay the taxes. Chapter 8 gives us the names of all the heads of the families traveling with Ezra back to Israel. Uh, recount some of the events that surround their journey. Ne- nearly a thousand mile travel that they had to go. That's kind of a, a, a tough way. It's, uh, I think, from uh, here to Louisiana is about 1,200 miles. I would not want to walk that, that trip from here to there. A thousand miles that they had to travel. Well, once Ezra arrived, the excitement of being back in Jerusalem was pretty much quickly cooled down. I'm sure that, man, he had to be there. Wow, so exciting. And then all of a sudden, he saw the state of the affairs that was going on around the air. In chapter 9, Ezra learns that many of the people, including many of the priests and the Levites, they hadn't maintained the purity of their call to separate themselves from the peoples of the land. And they intermarried the pagan women, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and all that. Now, you need to know, because through history, the church, by and large, has has made this more of an ethnic or a racial problem, but that wasn't the issue at all. The whole issue was a moral problem. The thing was, is these were pagan women. They didn't know the God of Israel. And here you have these priests marrying these pagan women. That's as bad as Solomon, the king, bringing all of these pagan women into his court. What did they do? They turned his heart to these pagans. So again, Ezra sees that, man, they're, they're marrying all these, all these foreign women. And as they married them, not because they converted to Judaism, but simply out of the desires of the flesh, of their own hearts. And once again, now they had been released from captivity. They were in Israel again. The temple had been built. And now again, even the religious leaders, they're going directly against what God had told them to do. They weren't back in the land and out of captivity for 50 years before they had already began testing the Lord's patience again. 
So Ezra was so shocked. Verse three says that, man, he tore his garments and his robe and he plucked out some of the hair of his head and his beard. Now you gotta be pretty upset. Start pulling your beard hair out. You just gotta be pretty upset. And he sat down astonished. And then everyone who trembled, who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to him because of the transgressions of those who had been carried away captive And Ezra sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, then he literally fell to his knees and he prayed out to the Lord. Verse six, he said, oh my God, I am so ashamed. I'm so humiliated to even lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Our guilt has grown up to the heavens. And then he goes on to enumerate all the sinfulness of the people and he closes there in verse 15. Here we are before you in our guilt and no one can stand before you because of this. Ezra was broken hearted. I believe that before he left Babylon there had to be such an excitement in his heart. Man, I'm going to go and I'm going to, man, I'm going to teach some Bible studies. And we, man, we got the temple in place. We're, man, we're just going to see such a great revival going on. And when he got there, getting ready to teach the word, he found out that the people were not only not interested in the word of God, but they had turned away from the word of God so powerfully to the very thing that God told them, don't do. Chapter 10 actually then relates that the, the priest and these others Finally, in repentance, they they determined to put their pagan wives away as well as the children born to them through these women. Nearly half the chapter is written spelling out the names of the men who had transgressed against the word of the Lord. Just a sad, sad situation. The book that starts out so well, hey guys, we're going back to Israel. We're going back to Jerusalem. We're gonna rebuild the temple. Ends with these guys that had gone so far away from the Lord. Enter now, Nehemiah. Chapter one tells us that he also was serving King Artaxerxes and he served him as his, his personal cupbearer. He hears a report from his brother, Hanani, that the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem, they continue to lay in, in, in broken rubble and, and the gates of the city, man, they, they're just burnt, charred pieces at that point in time. Well, this breaks his heart. It impacts him such a way that, again, just the sorrow that that he walks through throughout the day. And as he's serving the king one day, Artaxerxes noticed that he's really down in the mouth. He's really bummed out. Ask him what's going on. And Nehemiah explains the situation to the king. And then the king's heart actually goes out to his cupbearer. So you need to understand that Nehemiah wasn't just some slave to Artaxerxes. I think that he had a a pretty powerful place and position with Artaxerxes. I think that there was a relationship there. Artaxerxes cared about him. Otherwise, you go before the king and you got droopy face, you may not have a head after that. Because again, I don't want somebody with droopy face. I want the guy with the smiling face serving me. 
But Artaxerxes cares about what's going on with Nehemiah. And so he asks him what's going on. He tells him the king's heart goes out to him. Then in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, we find out uh, Nehemiah and a large procession, they head off to Jerusalem. They're financed. They're protected by the king's own decree. Once they get there, Nehemiah sneaks out by night. He visits the walls to check them out personally to get his own understanding of what's going on. And although it was emotionally troubling to him, he has a strong word of faith to those that are with him, and they all join in agreement. They, they come back to him as he's saying, hey, look, God can do this. In verse 18, the, all the others, they, they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. But again, immediately, the enemy rose up against the plans and the purposes of God Immediately, the enemy attacks the faith of God's people. But the other thing we see immediately happens. Nehemiah responds in great faith. Look what he says in verse 20. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So they got about building the wall. But the attack of the enemy, it didn't stop just because they continued forward. And guys, just for you and I, when the enemy comes and we say, you know, devil, you know, the Lord binds you, get you out of my way. I'm going to persevere in Jesus' name. I'm going to move forward in faith. I'm going to, again, be victorious in my walk and striving for the things of the Lord. Don't think that the battle's over. It's probably just going to stir up even hotter and hotter. And people wonder, well, you know, I prayed in faith. And I'm walking in faith. I want to do the thing God wants. Well, no wonder. That's why the enemy's after you. Because you're doing the right thing. You're doing the good thing. You're moving in faith. And we see it over and over again. In chapter 3, we see the organization of Nehemiah and, and all of the work that needed to be done. There were... Man standing beside man, family working alongside family. Each section of the wall was covered as far as the work was concerned. Men, women, tradesmen, homemakers, priests, goldsmiths, they had everybody working on these walls side by side. And guys, what a, what a word, what a testimony that is for the work of God, even within the church today. That we come together and it doesn't matter, you know, where we're from, what we've done, what our background is, what anything is. We come together as part of the body of Christ. Even as Paul tells us throughout his writings, every part of the body is necessary. Each part adds into that body. And I see that again illustrated here in what Nehemiah is doing. The work was being accomplished and each one did their part. No one was sitting back. Oh, we find out a little bit later that actually the nobles were sitting back. They were a little bit too good to be working on the wall, but Nehemiah jumps on their case too. (laughs) Chapter four, the enemy, again, he's now becoming even more bold in his attack. A fellow by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah the Ammonite, they began to verbalizing their attack more and more. Look at verse two. What are these feeble Jews doing? You're not a stone mason. You're a baker. What are you doing trying to do? You guys aren't skilled in doing it. How can you? Well, I started all these kinds of things. Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rubbish stones that are burned? 
verse 3, it says, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down their stone wall. That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future and the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more.